I wanted to share as we, as we got into this sermon, I don't always like to share this, but I feel like I do quite a bit. Sometimes the, the sermons that I, I hope you guys hear from me are the sermons I've been preaching to myself all week. Sermons that I don't just take up a text and think about it and how does it preach, but sermons that I, I let sink into my, my bones and, and try and affect me. And so you know, there's been about four to five different variations of this sermon this week, principally because I am terrible at the topic I'm about to share with you. The, the topic that the Lord is giving us today is, is one, of my, it's one of my worst skills, and it's friendship. I am not great at friendship. Now, I don't know how you feel about friendship, but if you're about 95% of the population, you probably enjoy friends. You probably, you probably think they're great. It, they might be very important to you. You have your three to seven friends that are super important and you love them. I know, I know my mom, she has had one friend since grade school. I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was because I love her and I don't want to embarrass her. But she's had her one friend, Kathy, since grade school. And another friend, Marianne, since about middle school. And she has gone through life seeing, seeing they've seen each other through marriage, through family accidents and deaths. They've seen children be born, grandchildren be born. And they have been close friends for a long time. You might be like that, who's had that friend forever. You might also just kind of view friends as unnecessary. It's kind of getting in the way. Or maybe they're an obligation. Or maybe they're just something you can't get a hang of. You can't figure it out. Why is friendship easier for some people, but it's so hard for me? And so if you're any one of those types, I hope this sermon is of benefit to you. And before we get into it, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 4. And Ecclesiastes is a book we don't often preach from. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has something to say about, about this. We're going to read through verses 7 through 12, just to kind of set up what is happening in our lives. And it begins, Solomon says, Again, I saw a vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all this toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving of myself pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But, who, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love this text in Ecclesiastes because it, it calls into my sin. It calls into my desire. It looks at 
it starts right off with this idea of a person who wants to just go it alone, who prefers the quiet, who does his work with his hands and he doesn't have much to share with, but he just continues to do it over and over for the sake of work, as it were. And Solomon looks at that and says, this is vanity. It's foolishness. It is sin. Then he gives the reasons why friendship and relationships are better. You can help one another up. Even in the broken person, the broken person has nowhere for his money and his earnings to go. You can keep those who are cold warm and that you are stronger with a friend. And to be honest, when, when I look at myself, I don't feel like I'm a person who's great at friendships. I'm great at starting friendships. They don't last, though. I don't know if it's because I'm needy. Would you guys tell me? No, I don't know if it's because I'm needy or what the problem is. But there's been these, these they're almost willow trees of friendship. They sprout really fast. They grow up and then poof, they're done. The pattern is, is long, and it goes, it goes all the way back to kindergarten. It's very, it's very long, and usually the closest ones end with the most pain. And so now, at, at this point in my life, my tendencies, my sinful tendencies at times, tend to go two ways. The first is solitude. And solitude tells me, you know what? You are too different. You're too eclectic, too nerdy, too theological, too bookish to find a good friend. It's better just to keep a wall, embrace the void, just entertain yourself. It'll be better if you're in that state. And then on the other side, as this text and as the Spirit calls into my heart, I say, no, that's not right. And I go towards this other pendulum swing of need. And it tells me something opposite yet very similar. And it says, You know what? I I do need a friend and I will start looking. But this person is wrong. And so is this person. You know, this person satisfies four out of the 17 characteristics, but yet they are not the person that will last. They need to be a person that has the same place in life or, you know what, there's not a chance they could leave or, you know what, they need to be perfect. I need them to be perfect. And so what started off as a repentant turn becomes sin itself. And then unsurprisingly in both scenarios, I end up bummed out, broken, and not pursuing the people and relationships I need to. Because there's this deep-seated reality in friendships that we are broken and have a, a tendency to perceive. It's that we think a friend is going to satisfy It's that we think this inner longing within us for relationships and for for friends will find its answer in another person. The reality is it's not going to satisfy. And as much as we need friends, as this text says, they can't. And this takes us to the first part, the first portion of the big idea of the sermon. And this is my advice for you today. Stop looking for friends. Now you'll think that's counter to what I said, but part two will come in handy later. But my advice is stop looking for friends. 
Now, before you stop looking for friends, let me say this. You have to have one first, and that's Christ. He is the friend we have desired and the friend we need. That friend-sized hole you have in your heart can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. It takes me, the, the thought of that goes back a few years. I was a part of a church, and we were worshiping one Sunday, and I was looking around at the men in the church, and there were about three or four guys that were not singing at all. If this is you and you're in church and not singing at all, I would encourage you to sing. You need to vocalize your, prayer, your praise. But we were a church, we were a small church, that guys sang. We all sang, and if a person wasn't singing, something was up. And it came to be that the reason these guys weren't singing is because of the song we were singing at the time. It was controversial to them, and they refused to sing it. It was their protestation of the song was to be silent during the worship leader singing this song. And it was this song by Israel Houghton. And it, it goes, I won't sing it, but the lyrics are essentially over and over. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. And so we had a discussion, either after church or in a meeting or something, about that song without the worship leader, because we didn't want to hurt his feelings concerning it. But we had a discussion about that song, and these, these group of men hated it. They hated the song. And I was, I was young and volatile, or I don't know what the word is there, but I was young and I was curious. And so I'm like, why do you guys hate this song so much? It's, I, I, I want to understand why you are so opposed to the song. They're like, we don't like to sing, I am a friend of God. And they had three reasons. The first was, where in the Bible does it say that we are a friend of God? So that was argument one. Argument two was, isn't referring to ourselves as a friend of God diminishing toward God? Almost blasphemous? Are we, are we, being, too, are we being too liberal with our relationship with God? And then number three why does it even matter? Why is being a friend of God even important? I'm going to answer all three of those. First off, the Bible does say it. It says it a lot. The relationship that God had with Abraham, Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. And if that doesn't satisfy you, in Matthew 11, verse 19, when the Pharisees spoke about Jesus Christ, they mockingly called him a friend of sinners. You're saying, well, that's the Pharisees mocking. What does, what does that have to do with this? Well, their statement was true. He was a friend of sinners. He went to them. He ate with them. He took the chance of saying, I am more willing to have cultural segregation. I'm more willing to have people say, we don't want to talk with you anymore because you go to them and that's what the Pharisees were doing. They saw Jesus' actions and said, in his actions, he is revealing himself to be a friend of sinners. And I am okay with that. He approaches, he pursues, he loves, and he redeems. It was his pattern over and over and over again. He would go to people that seemingly he had no business being friends with, and he sought them with the love of Christ and the gospel. That does not come out of cold indifference, but from deep abiding love that desires 
closeness. But it doesn't stop there. In John 15, 12 through 17, in the, in the upper room as Jesus is communing with his disciples and he's getting ready for the Lord's Prayer and he's, he's almost to the crucifixion, he specifically refers to the disciples as his friends. Not just disciples, but friends. Friends that had heard him, friends that had loved him, friends that had obeyed him. Twelve, and then even more, that were close to him and beloved. And if there is in you, because I know at times there has been in me, if there is any hesitation within you to resist the friendship of Christ, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing in the Bible to say that you should. Nothing in the Bible is telling you that you are not a friend of God. That's something within your heart. But if you do insist, you know, it's diminishing towards God. Second, let me tell you, it's not. If it is diminishing to God, it is only to a false God that we are creating and internalizing, that we have in our own minds. I can remember one time reading the book of Hebrews when I first started reading the Bible, reading the book of Hebrews by myself and getting to the point where it said Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. And I said, no, that's too far. You can't, you can't be in every respect like me. You can't, have, you can't have gone so far that you would love me as closely and as powerfully as that. That's too much. And I opposed it, not because the scriptures told me to oppose it, but because my hard heart was saying, I can't have a God loving me like that. And so you, we might very well have a false God in our hearts and in our minds that says, God could never be a friend of me because I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. I'm too rough around the edges. I haven't done enough yet. I haven't repented hard enough. I haven't surrendered enough of my life. I don't serve hard enough. I don't do any of these things as well as I should. And so God needs to be distant. He needs to be far away. I need to think of him as only on his throne, looking down on me, shaking his head and saying, when's he going to figure it out? Or when's she going to figure it out? And that's the one we hold on to at that point, not the one that has stepped into our world, not the one that, that has loved us, one that only views us as pests or troublemakers. But rather, the friendship of God reveals the glory of God. It reveals that when he died at the cross, and rose again from the dead and lives, lives making intercession as our priest, is our king that rules over us and, is teach, and teaches us over and over again through scripture as our prophet, that alongside those three comes that fourth nature of friendship. That he is with us and he is in us by his spirit and he is close to us. Third, friendship with God is important because contained within it are some of the benefits that we don't even realize we have. Don't even recognize them. 
And there's, there's plenty I can give you of benefits. If you want to look later, you can look in Proverbs 17, 17, and 18, 24, and 27, 6, and 9. Those are ones that specifically talk about friendship and how blessed they are. But they're only truly blessed when they come from the God-man, Jesus Christ. But more than all of those, friendship with Christ is amazing because of the blessing of one word, and that's communion. Now, when we say communion, we usually start to think about the bread and the cup, the holy communion that we partake together. But communion is so much more than that. Communion is the essence of what we are doing here today. Communion is the basis for our prayer, for our praise, for our talking to God, for our turning to the scriptures, for us being able to know that we call upon a God who listens because he is in communion with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to hear from us and he cares about us. He isn't far off and distant and saying, man, I really wish that person would get it together. He is near to you and he is listening. One of my favorite old quotes, I just love old Puritans. They are some of my friends because they only talk to me. There's this Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, and you know he has to have, he has such a great name, so he has to be great. I mean, good and win in your last name? Come on. And so Thomas Goodwin says the following, and I'll explain it as we go, because it's in Puritan speak, and therefore it's like, it's like trying to chew through a piece of cardboard. It's really dense, and it might have some, it'll have some nutrients in it, but it's not always digestible. But so I'm going to explain as we go, just this, this short quote, and it starts, Mutual communion, friendship, is the soul of all true friendship, and a familiar converse with a friend hath the greatest sweetness in it. Essentially, he's saying, okay, think of communion as spending time together, as going to see a person and talking with them. That is what mutual communion is. It is going and spending time and getting to know another person. And it is amazing. And he continues. So besides the common tribute of daily worship you owe to God, take occasion to come into his presence on purpose to have communion with him. Here he's giving advice and he's saying, besides your your time spent in prayer and your time reading through just like the scriptures or reading, reading a devotional or something like that, take time to talk with God and to, to work on your relationship and hear from him and like spend time not only praying and lifting up requests and telling him things, but just spend time looking to hear from him in his word. He continues, This is truly friendly for friendship is most maintained and kept up by visits. And these, the more free and less occasioned by urgent business, they are, the more friendly they are. He's saying, if you want your relationship with God to be great, go to him. Do so in a way that looks at him as your friend, as your, as your loving friend who is concerned for you, who cares for you, who knows your need, and do so not just when you see some issue arise, 
Not when there's an emergency or you have a need or you feel like the pressing weight of anxiety is upon you. Go to him often. Because that's the best type of friends. Friends aren't great when you're, when you're always going to them because you need something from them. That's not a best friend. That's a needy person. The best friendships are the ones that are casual. C.S. Lewis describes great friendships are friendships that never talk about friendship. They just are. They just work. You're just able to go and see the person, interact with them, love them, and you never say a word about it. It just works. And that's what Goodwin is saying here. A great relationship with the Lord is one that is constant and like a great friendship that comes to him with needs, but more so just comes to him because of who he is. Thomas Goodwin's point is that our closeness with God, our prayer life, our worship, our time in the scriptures, the presence of the Spirit, all the realities of Christ that we can take for granted are given to us through the amazing blessing of friendship and that they flow out through this simple word, communion. So let us maintain and keep them up through the visits Goodwin speaks of because they are the foundation to good friendship. So before you, before you do anything, start with Christ as your best friend because honestly, no one else will satisfy. They'll leave you hungry, they'll leave you thirsty, and they'll leave you out of sorts. Which is the second part of our big idea. And that's to tell you this. Stop looking for friends and start being a friend. Stop looking for friends by having Christ as your best friend. It sounds weird and nerdy to say, Jesus is my best friend. I don't recommend saying it to people. Like, don't, if someone's like, oh, who's your really good friend? Don't say, oh, Jesus is my best friend. That's kind of a strange way to talk. Um, but do it in reality. Have him as your best friend in reality. And then proceed in life as a best friend, looking to be the best friend that you can be. Stop looking for friends and start being the best friend. Now, what does that mean? What is that about? Number one, just just stop looking for friends to fill up your life. I can tell you it doesn't work. I, I can very well tell you, you will find somebody that will satisfy for a time and then you will, they, will, they won't always be there as you needed them at that point. They will change because people change. We are not unchangeable. And so you have to approach a friendship as something that you have for a time and it's wonderful and it's amazing. But that it's not something you can just hold on to. Not something you can just grip tightly and hope never shifts and never changes because it will so you need to you need to set your heart on something unchangeable and that's jesus start by setting your heart your need for friends upon christ first and then second start being the best friend you can be to those you come upon in life now this is probably terrifying for some people if I, when I say start being the best friend to everyone you come upon, you're thinking to yourself, 
I have to be super friendly to everybody I meet. I have to talk to everybody I meet. I need to love everybody I meet. I need to do all these things that are, con- that are connected with friendship that are very overwhelming. And really, I can, only, I can only do that for a few people. How am I going to do that? Well, I want you to note that I said, you, be the best friend you can be. Not be the best friend that you think of, someone that's great at talking to people, somebody that you might get envious of or coveting of, that you're like, man, that person is just great at talking to people. It's so easy for them. Don't look at somebody else's gifts and say, I want to be them. Because the reality is people need you. Part of the reason there's been four or five different versions of this sermon, as I said earlier, is because me and Dave were at this conference on Thursday and Friday. There's this one speaker. I kept messing up his name, so I'm not even going to try. I was switching him with another person. There was this one speaker who talked about a struggle he was having in his church. And it was this anxiety that people were having. They would hear all these great things about what was happening in the church and all the things that the church was doing, and they would start to feel bad. And afraid because, you know what, they didn't think they could go overseas on missions. And you know what, they thought, you know what, maybe, I, maybe I'm not the type of person to start a small group. Or maybe I'm not this, or maybe I'm not that. And they kept judging themselves by things the church celebrated. And I want you to know, I celebrate you guys. And we celebrate you guys. And your individual and specific giftedness. Because the thing is, I don't want a church of a bunch of people that are exactly the same. That's boring. I don't want everybody to be like Dave Bloom or like Don Spielman or like Dave Gustafson or like Matt Helen or like George Fleece or even, even like just I, just, I don't want a bunch of guys that are all the same. And I definitely don't want women that are all the same. Because God has made you different. Gail and Melissa. God has made you different, Diane. God has made you different, Susan. He has made you to be a portion of this body as you are. And so he is giving you the grace to go out as yourself and love people. He's giving you the grace to be exactly who you are in the best way possible as a redeemed person, as a redeemed believer. He is giving you the grace to go and be the best friend, not as a concoction that you have made, but as the person that God has calling, is calling you to be. Because people need you. They don't need a bunch of me's. They don't need a bunch of Dave's. They don't need a bunch of people that can all do the exact same thing. They need each of us individually in the spheres that God is calling us to. We have, this, we have our mission statement. We are on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea is our mission. That people need Christ in you. They need you to go forward with Christ within in each of their spheres, in each of our lives. And the best way, honestly, to do that 
is through friendship. It starts with that kind of simplicity. It's friendship. When people get connected, it's usually based on friendship. When people feel the grace to come and receive the invitation, it's usually based on friendship. And friendship is a great starting point for our mission. And it is the means for you to connect and love people in the way that they need most through you and through the amazing person that you are. And that what you need to do in that is be the best friend by being the best friend. And this is, this is where we're going to conclude. And it's Colossians 3. And this week, one of the times I changed my sermon was based on my brother Stan's message on Wednesday night. At, at, youth, at youth group, he was talking about relationships and just sharing about, about how relationships can be different as a Christian versus an unbeliever. And one of the things that I said was that he was asking the kids, is it harder or is it easier to have relationships as a believer? And some of the kids said, you know, it is harder because we have, we have all these standards and sometimes you have to make decisions about who you are going to be friends with because of where they might take you in life, the things they might do to you. And, and as I was thinking about it, I'm like, it, it might make you more particular and present different circumstances to you. But the great thing about being a believer is that it gives you this new spectrum of friends and relationships. It gives you people that you would not normally encounter to become friends with. And it gives you the opportunity to say, I am not confined to one group. So there's not just one group that I need to be friends with, coworkers or a certain age group. There is a body. There is a family of believers that stretch from newborns to late adulthood. I won't put an age limit on it. And these are my potential friends. Potential people I have to love. And I am so blessed in Christ that that sphere even goes out from there. And I can turn to people that are not like me. And not even believers. And I can love them too. And the way that we can do that is this final point. And it's from Colossians 3.12. And Stan read this and I'm like, oh, yes. This is it. This is the key. 3, 12 through 17. It says, put on then as God's chosen one. So he's saying, you know, put this on like, like a jacket, like, a, like, a, like clothes. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and demolishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness into your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want you to be the best friend 
by bringing the best friend. Like I said earlier, stop looking for friends. Stop looking for them. I'm serious. Not because you shouldn't have friends or you shouldn't be alert towards them, but because they're everywhere around you. God has uniquely positioned you in your life, surrounded with people that need the love and affection that you have received from Christ to love them and to speak to them. Whether it's in this church or outside this church, you are blessed with a sphere of people that need the love of Christ and need you specifically. Stop looking for them everywhere and start seeing that they are right there in front of you. And they are great friends. Also, stop trying to find someone who matches up perfectly with you. It's one thing I have to say all the time. Be happy when people suit you in different ways. I have great friendships with a a very different set of people. And they are great friendships because they are aligned first around Christ and then around the interests. For example, on Tuesday mornings, me and my friend Matt Helen meet to talk about Isaiah. That's right, I said Isaiah. We really enjoy talking about the book of Isaiah. I told my dad this and his mind blew up. Because who would want to talk about Isaiah? Who would want to spend time sitting together each week to go through an old prophetic book? I would. And so would Matt. And that we're kind of weird that way. We like other books too, but that's something that we're really into. And then I also have a friend like Dave Clark that I go and see a comic book movie with him because I like both reading old theological works and I like comic books. And sometimes those two interests meet, but not all the time. And so it's okay to say, I will have different friends that match up with me in certain ways because Christ is in me and he is empowering me to love and be with these people in the way that I have the opportunity to. Because that's what Christ did. He connected with person after person. He comes upon person after person and he approaches them with love and grace. Even when they are so different, radically different to him and opposed to his father, he approaches them with love and grace. And at times as he speaks truth, they change and they turn to him and they pursue Christ and they love him and they love the father. So I would encourage you, follow him in that. Put on Christ and love the people that God has put before you. Because when you start to do that, the reality of our mission to be on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will come easily. But the first thing we need to do is get out of our own way. And just say to ourselves, despite what I normally would do, I am going to enter into this new situation with a Colossians 3 mentality. And I will put on those things that mean one thing, Jesus Christ. I will put on Jesus Christ and I will love. Not because he's going to be mad at me if I don't, but because I love him and I've spent time with him and I know him. And now because of the gospel, I have hope because of him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you are our friend. And that we can call you friend. And you have called us friends. And you have pursued us even when we weren't your friends. 
And we pray now that as we go forward today with a desire for friendship in our hearts and with a mindset to say, how can I be friends to the people that God has put into my life? I pray that we would look upon that not as something to be feared, but as something to be enjoyed. Lord, let us see each of our lives, each of the unique ways that you have made us as an opportunity to love and care for each other and care for others without fear of not measuring up to some imaginary guideline. Fill us with yourself. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And help us to start letting love come naturally and loving as you have made each of us to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.